Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! I have you now. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. And this is the 30-something movie podcast. This is episode number 129. Uh, This time around, we're gonna be talking about some kind of wonderful... Uh, latest in a line of John Hughes movies we've been looking at over the last couple of years. Um, but before we get into that really quickly, um, we do spoil the events of the movies that we talk about, and we've got some new movie news here that's a little bit spoilery. So um, if you have not seen Some Kind of Wonderful, and if you've not seen, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out here now, one of my new movie news things is from, uh, it's, it's a little spoilery for the M. Night Shyamalan movies Unbreakable and Split. Um, of which Split I still have not seen, so this spoiled me, and I'm not very happy about it, but we'll talk about it. Um, So if you haven't seen those, you don't want to be spoiled with this news, then you maybe want to jump ahead, maybe like 10 minutes in the recording, you know, five, six, seven, ten minutes, something like that. Um, Jump ahead, and then we will be beyond that point, uh, because we're only going to spend about five minutes talking about it real quick. So Um, that being the case, uh, really, really quickly, I will introduce tonight, because there was, he brought food with him, so Dennis is here. Yep. It was, it was uh, cookies, but they're gone already. So okay, so you're not going to stick around for long. Well, you are going to yeah. stick around because this is your movie. Yeah. Okay, all right. And then we've, as, we've had Pat, as always, no food, but he's still here. I'm here. Pat just shows up for a good time. I've got food right in the next room. So oh, you, you do? So start hearing some crunching and munching. Okay, that's fine. All right. Well, let's get really quickly. I'm going to, and actually, because we've got several new movie news things, I'm going to set a five-minute timer on each of these. Uh, so... That'll kind of keep us on track here. But first of the new movie news things. Um, now, Dennis, I know you've seen Split. Yes. Okay. Pat, have you seen Split? I have not seen Split. Okay. So I don't know. This may end up spoiling you. I don't know if you're going to see it or not. You know what? Um, I probably will see it, but I, I don't even know what it's about. So okay. feel free to spoil me. Okay. All right. So anyway, so the new movie news uh, that I read the other day and that I was not very happy to read because I still haven't seen Split yet is that... Um, it turns out from apparently from the ending of Split, and I think Dennis, you started to tell me this, and then yeah. you, you kind of backed off because you knew I hadn't seen it yet. Um, that the ending of Split shows that this story is happening in the same universe as Unbreakable, mm-hmm. the one where Bruce Willis is the the superhero and yeah. uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, turns out to be the villain, Mister Glass. So apparently, um, they are going to have a sequel come out to Unbreakable that is going to be called Glass, and it's going to have Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, and James McAvoy from Split are all going to show up together in this movie. So, Dennis, being the only person who's actually seen Split, uh, did you you saw Unbreakable as well, didn't you? Yes. Okay, so you're the only one of us that's seen both of those. Pat, have you seen Unbreakable? I have. What a great movie that is. Because I really liked Unbreakable. That I probably like... Um, I might actually go rewatch that more than I would the sixth sense. Cause I like the sixth sense, but with that twist ending, 
I watch it a couple times, then I'm like, okay, that you know, the 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 novelty was there, but after I watched it a couple times, all right. Unbreakable, I've watched that one more often. Like I'll watch that one maybe every year, every year and a half or so. Um, I don't know. I, I may just like that one a little bit better than the sixth sense for in terms of like rewatchability. Um, but Dennis, being the only person who's actually seen both of those, have you heard had you heard this or how are you feeling about this? I mean, well, when I when you say have I heard it, it was I saw it at the end of the movie. So right. um, my guess was right away when I walked that it, it could have been a one-time, oh, little nod to it, kind of like a little, you know, cameo, funny sort of connection type of thing. But then, you know, I think we immediately thought of, well, there's a possibility that they're going to plan something because it left things open-ended um, to where there's going to be a, a sequel to this to split probably, or at least the open potential to. And then the fact that you did see Bruce Willis um, at the end of it, that they're, uh, that the two would be connected. So it's, it's not a surprise for me. It was something we had to, like, like I said, when talking to other people about, Oh, go see split. You know, you didn't want to say anything about the ending. Right. But no, I, I so I'm not surprised because it, 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 having seen the movie, you're not surprised if you've seen the movie. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just, I, I was a little dis, I mean, I know Split has been out for a while and I should have seen it up to this point, but um, I was a little surprised that they were kind of letting that news slip. Yeah. Well, once you, like I said, once you've seen it, you yeah. know, and it's been out for like, it's already past the time, I guess. But yeah. um, at the time of watching the movie, was I surprised at the connection there at the end? Yeah. That, I would say, yeah, that's, that I was. I didn't can, quite can I that. Can I ask a, the question? And again, I, I think I've heard of Split and I just don't know anything about it. So, I mean, I, I might be taking a shot in the dark, but isn't M. Night Shyamalan's thing to always like, he gives you, he'll do a take on different genres of film and give you kind of like more, uh, if this happened in real life, this is what it would be like type of thing. Isn't, isn't that kind of his deal? Um, say maybe. Well, he's, he's more in the vein of the, Rod Sterling twist ending type of direct, uh, mm-hmm. writer for the most part, but um, okay, but like Unbreakable is a superhero take. Uh, Sign mm-hmm. is alien take. Uh, Six yeah. Sense is his 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 uh, supernatural thriller. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, Just psychological. Okay, well, it, it could it be that you know the whole linking two worlds and all that isn't that what they do with like Marvel movies all the time? Like you watch all the way through Marvel movies and then all of a sudden Thor shows up. Oh wow, yeah. Thor's in this movie. Okay, they must be linked. And the first couple of times they did it, you you know you'd get excited because it was like, oh, they're going to link this to that. Or at the end of Captain America, you see the hammer. Now we just expect it that somehow all these superhero movies are linked together. And I mean, maybe that's why he's doing that. Is well, he's never done that before. He's never linked his movies together so much. Yeah, you know, he'll have little references here and there to certain things, but you know, usually it's more like a, I think more in the style of like an Alfred Hitchcock walking through. Like he's always in these movies too. Like he's in this one as well. You know, he the, the M Night is always somewhere in his movies. He does the little kind of Hitchcock uh, appearance. So I think a lot of people initially thought that maybe maybe that was just a little reference to it but because of the way the movie ended you knew that there could be a potentially second one i don't know if it's all his worlds are going to connect like that i don't think that's it and i think it was more out of out of character typically for him to do this that's why it'll be interesting to see how he blends these two together because to me this is a part of territory for him right well i didn't i didn't mean to apply that okay i didn't mean to apply that all his movies would link together but i was and again i haven't seen split but i'm just saying that unbreakable was kind of the quote unquote superhero movie 
maybe that's why he's linking it to something else because all the superhero movies they try to link together. I could be totally wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. You know. All right, my my cosmic key timer did go off, so we'll go, we'll move yeah. on from this one. But yeah, yeah, I just I was um, I I think I liked that idea. I mean, I still would like to see a split just to kind of see where that's going. But um, you know, I remember seeing Unbreakable and thinking I I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel to this and and have them do more with these characters. But so yeah, so I mean that's that's interesting enough to me that I'll check it out. Um, all right, so second thing I had, I don't know that this is going to take too much discussion, but um. Uh, Star Wars, the Han Solo movie is going to be coming out May 25th, 2018. So we're about a year away, uh, about a year and a month away from that one coming out. They're going to move episode nine. Uh, so all the Star Wars movies up to this point since Disney took over have been coming out in December. Uh, with the Han Solo movie, they're going to start them in the summertime. So it'll be May 25th, 2018 for Han Solo. Episode nine will be May 24th, 2019. And then they apparently have moved Indiana Jones 5 back from 2019 to July of 2020. So I guess my only question with this one um, is, should they keep Harrison Ford for Indiana Jones 5, knowing that he already seemed kind of old in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and he's going to be even older once we get to Indiana Jones 5 in 2020? Should they go with a new actor, or should they stick with Harrison Ford? I think they're going to go. I think they're going to go with somebody else to be involved, but I don't think he'll be the. You know, I don't. I don't see it working as much because then it starts to get too, too silly. Yeah, well, I mean, because he's already. I think it was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They said he was already older than um, Sean Connery was in the Last Crusade. Okay. Yeah. So I mean that, and this is when did that come out? Was that twenty? He doesn't always look at those. So that's one thing. I, yeah. mean, he, I think, you know, like Sean Connery, maybe because of the loss of the hair, you know, makes him look older by, by, and just personality wise, where I think still in, uh, like in Star Wars, that uh, Han Solo still looked pretty decent for, you know, for, for his age. Like, I think he looks younger than his age typically. Yeah, but I mean, so, I mean, but with the potential, I mean, but I'm you say 2020, I mean, that's a couple more years and, and, and people get aged in a couple of years really fast. So, right. And I, I mean, I, he's I'm agreeing that I think it's, you know, even though mm-hmm. in the, the, the other one, he was older than Sean Connery, he, right. he could pull that off. Now I don't, there's, there's gotta be a limit though. Well, and I, I, I was trying to remember when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, cause I remember watching that and thinking, okay, he's, he's a little slower. He's a little older. Um, and I, I couldn't remember when that one came out. That one was 2008. So we're looking at it being 12 years after Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, when I already thought he looked kind of old to play Indiana Jones. We're going to get another Indiana Jones with, I think they've said up to this point, Harrison Ford would be Indiana Jones, but it's going to be 12 years after. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I had as much of a problem with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as some other people did. I it's not the greatest, and if you put it in the list of Indiana Jones movies, it's going to come last for me. Um, but I didn't hate it like some other people hated it. But at the same time, I don't know if I don't know. I don't know if it's just if it's time to retire him as Indiana Jones and and start to treat yeah. it like James Bond and let somebody else take over. Yeah, and I'm fine with them that. I mean, I feel bad saying it, but I'm fine with them not not doing it. You know, just, just ending it. Right. You know, it's one of those things where at one point, does it become, you know, rocky? Does it become too silly? But, you know, like like right. like for Rocky, there was Creed, and they went off with a complete, you know, even though he sort of played a role in there, a part that wasn't too bad, but like for him to be the main character, I think is going to get too silly. Right. 
Like, I think you see how, like, what, what Rocky, I forgot what number they were even on. It got so ridiculous that those were just not good movies. And then all of a sudden they went with a new young person and the focus was on Creed and kind of like a spinoff from that. And, and he played a role in it. Yeah. But it was about this new kid. And I think that worked so much better if they did that with it, where they have some sort of adventure um, and maybe there's a connection or it's one of his, you know, some sort of, I don't know, relative or kid, like, like, you know, whatever they can, they can maybe pull that off, but I don't. Right. So. Well, like, like comparing it to the Rocky movies, it was like Rocky four was really the last time he was the main hero. And then mm-hmm. Rocky five, he started to take over that, that, yeah. men, that mentor role oh. with yeah. uh, what was it? Tommy, Tommy gun. Yeah. yeah. And then Rocky Balboa was the one where, um, wasn't he coming back to fight the guy because yes. it was Mason Dixon. Yeah. And they had some computer simulation that said, you know, Rocky Balboa would have won in his uh, prime yeah. versus Mason. Yeah. And, and then you had Creed. Um, so yeah, I think that, I mean, they flip flop back and forth between trying to make him a mentor and trying to put him back in there. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. One of his, you know, like he taught and stuff. So maybe some, right. maybe some earlier spit, like something like a former student of his, I don't know, or just, or it could be a family member. I don't know, but something like that, if they went that route, I think it's got a shot, but I think if it's just going to be him. It's eventually going to get too right. Uncomfortable and awkward and <laughs> and ultimately sad for people. Right. That's like a, a, watching Floyd Patterson um, fight one more fight than he should have and get knocked through the ropes. Yeah. All right. Well, this one and this one may not take too much discussion either, but I'm gonna throw it out there because I saw it earlier today. Uh, James Cameron has now set release dates for his four Avatar sequels that are coming out. For all those people that were just dying for another Avatar movie, um, he has set them to come out in 2020, 2021. 2024 and 2025 pat dennis either one of you guys do you care um i like to see it okay would you want to see four you want to see four more of it how but i'm sure i'll go see it okay i i don't know that i need to see four of them like i mean the first avatar was interesting to me and i i wouldn't mind seeing a sequel but just the fact that he's already got, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what his plan is that he's already sitting here saying, I got five movies. No. So. <laughs> I don't know. No. Um, all right. So really quickly, um, let's see. Next one I got. Okay. So Jeff Goldblum apparently is coming back to Jurassic Park. Uh, he's going to be in Jurassic World 2 returning as Dr. Ian Malcolm. Um, do we need Jeff Goldblum to come back? How did you feel about, I know some people are kind of hit or miss on Jurassic World 1. Um, did you see it? And if so, where did it fall for you in the Jurassic Park movies? Wait, pose that question again. Did you see the first Jurassic World? So the one they did, the last yes. Jurassic Park movie? Did you see that one? And where does it fall in the Jurassic Park series of movies? And does Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum need to come back? Um, I don't think Jeff Goldblum needs to come back for it. Um, I thought the Jurassic World, I think I had it ranked. I think I have one, then, then world, then, yeah, I, I used to rank these. I don't think what it was. Um, but, but anyway, Jurassic World was, it was good. It was up there. It was better than I think, was it three? Yeah. Three yeah. was the one where, uh, Sam Neill comes back. Yeah. I think it went one. One, four, two, three. I okay. Think. Okay. Yeah. One, four, two, three. Cause there's four of them. Yeah. Okay. Pat, what are you about you? Do you need to see uh, some more shirtless Jeff Goldblum walking around Jurassic park? 
I'm tr- I'm, I got to be honest with you. I'm trying to contain my anger at the thought of benching Harrison Ford for Indiana Jones. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to. Okay. I, I bit my lip. We'll go, go, I bit go back. My lip. I bit my lip. It fell off. I sewed it back on. I bit my tongue. That fell off. Okay. Well, yeah, I how, how old do you want him to go? Where's hey, he? you know what? Hey, hey, you know what? You brought up a really good point. I mean, nobody wants to see anybody that's like out of his element, you know, and all that kind of thing. But I think if you call a movie Indiana Jones, then you got to have Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, whether that's going the Creed route or something like that. I mean, yeah, no one wants to see anybody and all that. But I'm just saying for me, it better have a really good motorcycle chase. If you call it Indiana Jones and someone else is Indiana Jones, that's all I'm saying. But as so far is this as is this is this along the lines of like if you were a Sean Connery fan back in the day, like nobody else ever gets to play James Bond? James Bond is I honestly think James Bond is something different and unique. Okay. I, I mean I really I and then yeah, maybe. I think so. I, I don't know. I think James Bond is just a unique phenomenon. I don't I don't know that, that many other movies that could could do that. But because because here's the thing. It's exciting to see what everyone brings to the James Bond table. Oh, we're going to take the character in this direction. We're going to take the character. And th- I mean, we've had this James Bond talk and each Bond, they, they have their own particular something, something. The movies take on their own flavor. It's, it, you know. And we're used character- to that happening. We're used to that transition. We're, we're yeah. And, and it's cool. It works with Bond. For Indiana Jones, that's, I don't know. I just think. Well, well that's why I don't know if you heard of what we were saying. I wasn't saying that somebody else comes in and plays. Uh, you were saying right at like Creed. No, I agree with that. Yeah. I, you need to have a completely different character. He, Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones. No one else plays Indiana Jones but Harrison Ford. That's what I feel. But, but, but you, you can't, can't make a, a, you a can't, factor in the movie or a side character and somebody else comes in and steps up and be, is focused. Yes. You can go that route and that might have a better chance. I'm not saying that I would do that. I could leave right. it alone and be all fine. Right. But my point is I wouldn't. I wouldn't replace Harrison Ford, nor do I think putting more and more Indiana Jones and forcing it longer than it should has diminished. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I agree with that. As far as, you know, I know we're on the clock. So as far as the Jurassic Park question, I hate to say it, but Dennis, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I I really, I like the original Jurassic Park. Jurassic World was cool. Um, yeah, I'm biased because they rode around on Triumph motorcycles, but um, it was a little campy when they started like talking to the dinosaurs. I'm, yeah. You know, I, I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of high heels. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. Those that got a little bit, but you know what? But hey, it was, still, it's, but it was good overall. Though it was still entertaining. I thought that was exactly. I think the, the, totally, I totally, un, totally unrealistic when those raptors started running around in high heels. <laughs> yes, completely. Now, if you have Raptors riding motorcycles, I'm in opening night. Okay. Um, as as far as Jeff Goldblum, sure. I thought his character was fun. I, you know, you can bring him back. You could not bring him back, and I think you'd have a great movie. But yeah, sure. What the heck? Bring the character back. That 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 would be fun. W- would you say life will find a way to make it work? Yeah, I think so. Well, to be honest, um, that worked for the Fast and the Furious stuff. I mean, they they were kind of going off track. Then all of a sudden, they brought all the original cast back, and those movies became blockbusters again. So I think that I think I think that'll work people's nostalgia a little bit of bringing him back. Okay. So. All right. Okay. Next to last one. So the last one may get a, a big reaction out of you. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, next to last one is, and I don't know if they're doing this based on the success of Stranger Things because it's pretty 
pretty similar to it. Um, the movie Firestarter uh, that starred Drew Barrymore as a child is getting remade. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of people have said that Firestarter to them is kind of like, like that would be a big influence on Stranger Things. So yeah. when, I, when I heard that, I didn't really, I mean, I, I kind of thought about it for a minute. Um, would you be worried that Firestarter, if they did a remake of Firestarter, are people who haven't seen the original going to sit there and think, oh, they're just trying to copy Stranger Things? Is it worth making a Firestarter remake if Stranger Things is so similar and has done so well? Well, for the people that want to sell, you know, sell things, then it's, it's worth it because they'll get an initial buzz. But for the creative part of it or the, you know, does it need to be done? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I saw Firestarter. It was okay. I didn't think it was the greatest in the world. And uh, so is that one that they could improve on? I think it's possible. So that might be interesting, but I don't necessarily think I'm, you know, I could live without that being remade. And I think for money-wise, though, if they caught, thought Stranger Things and they think it's in the same vein as that, I think that's where they're going. And, you know, Hollywood is driven by money. So what's going to sell, even if it might not be good? That's why there's so many uh, Friday the 13th and and uh, Halloweens and whatever else. I mean, they, some of those stopped being good a long time ago, and they just keep spitting them out. Yeah, I agree. I, so, I, have a, I, so I don't think it needs to be made. I mean, I'm, I'm fine without it. But okay. Could they do it better than the original? I think it's possible because the original I don't think was super great. So Okay. All right. Okay, here's my last new movie news thing. And then if you guys have anything, you throw them on out there. But uh, So this one's a little bit related to uh, our talk tonight because it does involve a John Hughes movie. Uh, they are talking about remaking The Great Outdoors, and Kevin Hart would be playing the part of John Candy. And the podcast fell silent. <laughs> Like, all right, enough. <laughs> yeah. Enough. It's enough of the remakes. Well, and they haven't remade any John Hughes movies. So this is, well, no, no that's not true. They did, they did the vacation. <laughs> they did the vacation movie, um, which yeah, I, I guess you could, kinda, well, I know. <laughs> I guess you could kind of call that a sequel since it was, I guess, supposed to be rusty. Yeah, but. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so they're talking about redoing Great Outdoors and Kevin Hart would play the same role John Candy played. And just make a different movie. Don't make it the great outdoors. Make yeah. a movie with Kevin Hart and make it have to be outdoors, but don't call it the great outdoors and don't call it a remake and don't call it a remake of a John Hughes film. Okay. I just, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm not, and I'm not happy about that. Okay. So it'd be like if you took a movie called Pretty in Pink and you remade it and, and called it some kind of wonderful. <laughs> did, did, <laughs> did I, did I break you, Dennis? Can you see my picture? <laughs> I can. Thankfully, nobody else can. <laughs> uh, John Hughes wrote that, and they're totally the apples and oranges here. Okay. John Hughes is dead. John Hughes did the movie, and the reason he did this one was because they didn't let him do the ending that he wanted to do in the first one. Uh -huh. So therefore, it's apples and oranges, totally different. It's the same guy. He's making something innocent. And I will, I will still venture to say that it is different than Pretty in Pink. In, in many ways, and um, and I'll have to illustrate that later somehow, but it is different. <laughs> Does it involve teens? Does it involve all that? But how many movies do? Then you can say every movie that involves teens and, and whatever is the same. And I don't think this is. I think the tone is different. The acting is different. I think the storyline is different. I think the characters are different. I think you can make that connection to, oh, this person, Andrew McCarthy, and and this is Molly Ringwald, is is, is Eric Stoltz. And, but the point is, they're it's, very, it's still a different movie. I think we got him a little riled up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Start bringing up Howard the Duck. We're gonna have. We're gonna well, have actually, I, I, I was gonna have to mention that Leah Thompson was in Howard the Duck, but yeah. Okay. Well, 
Hey, that's when we broke up. I'm just, you know what? I'm, I'm just stating facts here. And they're not alternative facts either. That's when, uh, that's when me and Leah broke up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she did that before she did this movie. She did what? Howard the Duck. Uh, no, she didn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yes. Hold on. Oh, no. I don't think so. Yeah. Howard the Duck was 86. John, John, you better send a pizza to Dennis's place there because he might just leave the podcast. He, he, might, he might get up and leave. Yeah, she did this movie because Howard the Duck flopped so bad. She wanted to go back to I, something about maybe this. Maybe uh, maybe the other one was filmed first, and this one just took. Well, Howard the Duck took longer to release because of all the special effects when they had to put in the fake uh, duck boobs. Uh-huh. That took a while, probably. So uh-huh. she could have filmed some kind of wonderful, uh-huh. and that one you know came out later. They released it later, and Howard the Duck uh, was already. I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Go ahead. Yeah. No, she she did Howard the Duck first. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's, it. This movie redeemed her then. She seems so much older in that one. Yeah. Well, she's playing a high school kid in this one. Yeah. It was, it was makeup. So it works. Makeup. There you go. Good acting. Okay. All right. Well, let's get, well, before, Dennis is, before Dennis walks out, uh, let's go ahead and get started on this one. So uh, we are talking some kind of wonderful. It came out on February 27th, 1987, rated PG-13. Director was uh, Howard Deutsch. You say Deutsch? I don't know. Yeah. Dutch, Deutsch. Uh, he did Pretty in Pink, um, The Great Outdoors, The Replacements, The Whole Ten Yards. Uh, writer and producer on this one was John Hughes, who died in 2009. He did Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Home Alone, uh, many others. Uh, music was done by two guys, uh, Stephen Haig. Um, Some Kind of Wonderful is the only composing credit he had, but he does have other credits for soundtrack work for American Psycho, Batman Returns, Bright Lights, Big City, and John Musser uh, also did part of the soundtrack for this one, and Some Kind of Wonderful is his only composing credit. Uh, budget for this one, we don't know what it was, couldn't find it anywhere, box office was $18.5 million. Eric Stoltz played Keith Nelson, he was in Mask, Pulp Fiction, The Fly 2, and the TV show Caprica. Mary Stuart Masterson played Watts. She was in The Stepford Wives, the 1975 version, Fried Green Tomatoes, and Benny and June. Leah Thompson played Amanda Jones. She was in the Back to the Future movies, the TV series Caroline in the City, and Dennis's personal favorite, Howard the Duck. Uh, Craig Sheffer played Hardy, Je- Hardy Jens. He was in the Teen Wolf TV series that ran from 86 to 87. A River Runs Through It, the program, and won the TV show One Tree Hill. John Ashton played Cliff Nelson. He was in Beverly Hills Cop movies, Midnight Run. Uh, Elias Codius played Duncan. He was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Gattaca, Fallen, and the TV series, the current TV series, Chicago PD. Uh, Molly Hagan played Shane. She was in Herman's Head, Election, I Zombie, and Sully. Maddie Corman played Laura Nelson. She was in Swingers, Made in Manhattan, What Happens in Vegas. Jane Elliott played Carol Nelson. She was in General Hospital and All My Children. And Candace Cameron played Cindy Nelson. She was in Full House and Fuller House. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics and audience both gave it an 80%. Critics on this one, Ebert gave it three stars. Siskel gave it two and a half stars. Uh, A couple of other critics, uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times said that Some Kind of Wonderful is a, quote, much improved recycled version of the Pretty in Pink story. Richard Schnickel, or Schickel? There's no N there. I I don't know, but that's a great name. No, no, it's a great name. I just insert N's wherever I can find them. Um, Schickel of Time Magazine, however, criticized the film for being unrealistic. Um, Masterson's performance was singled out for praise by several critics. 
Cinema Score gave this one an A minus. The only award that was listed for this one was Leah Thompson for Young Artist Award, uh, Best Young Actress in a Motion Picture. So Keith is an artsy high school outcast. He tries to land a date with popular girl Amanda Jones uh, with some help from his tomboy best friend Watts. However, his advances draw the ire of Amanda's snobby ex-boyfriend Hardy Jens, oddest name for a high school kid ever, uh, who makes plans to get even. Matters are further complicated when Watts realizes that she likes Keith as more than just a friend and tries to convince him to stop pursuing Amanda. I'm going out with a girl tonight, and she's beautiful, and everybody's in love with her, and she's going out with me. I just want you to get off the dime and think about your future. She's beautiful, and obviously in the middle of some emotional shootout to consent to date the human tater tot. This is 1987. Did you know that a girl can be whatever she wants to be? I know, my mom's a plumber. I'd recommend you keep your eyes and your mind off my property. Cut it out. Why don't you mind your own business? Really, it must be a drag to be a slave to the male sex drive. I didn't say anything about sex. Oh, want to start a book club with her? Anytime somebody from the outside lifts a woman from a guat like Jen's, man, we could all find cause to rejoice. You walk out on me, where are you gonna go? I want to show this girl that I'm as good as anybody else. I know how you feel. You've been in love before. There's a lot of things you don't know about me. You got a shot to be the first guy in his family who didn't have to wash his hands after a day's work. Break his heart and break your face. Do you miss me, Keith? Do you miss not being around me? This isn't the third grade anymore. Oh, you're only 18 years old. Then I'm 19, then I'm 20. When does my life belong to me? All right, so uh, a couple of things real quick. Uh, Howard, are we saying Dutch or Deutsch? Deutsch. Deutsch, okay. Deutsch. Howard Deutsch and Leah Thompson fell in love while filming this movie, and they have been married since 1989. Uh, Elias Codius, who Pat and I both know as Casey Jones from the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, apparently improvised much of his lines and his actions in the movie. Uh, three main characters all have names relating to the Rolling Stones. There's Amanda Jones, named after a song of the same name, which they do play in the movie. Uh, there's a drummer called Watts, named after Charlie Watts, and a character called Keith, named after Keith Richards. Uh, Leah Thompson originally turned down the lead when she was approached by Howard Deutsch. She then accepted the role after Howard the Duck from 1986 flopped, and Howard Deutsch again asked her to play the role of Amanda Jones. So she came back after that because she kind of knew that Howard the Duck was not going to be the superstar vessel for her acting career that yeah it's just a steaming pile of crap and let's be honest she needed to redeem herself in dennis's eyes too i mean that's that that's true and, and she probably knew that she probably thought i've really let dennis down okay. uh so i need to go do a, a much better movie after um after howard the duck right right if you think about it and i did see this somewhere too howard deutsch if you insert a k somewhere in his last name his name, Howard Deutsch, could be an anagram for Howard the Duck. Yeah. I, I, I saw that somewhere. Just put a K somewhere in his name, and, and, and then you're good. 
Um, okay, so several years before this movie was filmed, Eric Stoltz had been the original choice to play Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Uh, and he had even shot about five or six weeks of worth of footage in the movie before he was replaced by Michael J. Fox. Leah Thompson, who played one of Stoltz's love interests in this movie, play, would, have been played, uh, would have played his mother in the Back to the Future series. So, and I've seen, I found a website. I'd never seen these before. There was a website that had a whole bunch of pictures of him in the different scenes as Marty McFly, like with Doc and with um, George McFly. And, and it just, it looks weird to see somebody else. It's almost like they Photoshopped somebody into a movie that you know so well. So, mm. so it's kind of weird to see some of those pictures. But there was a website that had collected a whole bunch of uh, still pictures of him uh, in all these different scenes of the back to the future movie. And apparently he, he was actually part of the reason that he left back to the future. Cause I guess he told them, look, it's just not working out. I don't think this is the vibe you're looking for. I don't think he was comedic enough. I don't think he was funny enough. And I think he realized that they wanted to go for something a little funnier. So I actually think if I remember reading this somewhere that Eric Stoltz was one of the first people that said, look, I, I don't think this is working. You need to find somebody else. I'm not the right person for this. And so after they had already been doing five weeks of work on the movie, I think he was one of the first people that said, I'm, I, I'm out. You got to find somebody else. Mm. Which is, I guess, good because then we wouldn't have had Michael J. Fox. Uh, Hughes was personally not happy with the ending of Pretty in Pink. This is what Dennis was talking about before and what we are going to kind of bring up as part of this. He was not happy with the ending of Pretty in Pink. Uh, and I guess he ended up, they ended up doing a different ending because test audiences did not like his original ending to it. Um, so after they did that, he, he wasn't a big fan of the ending of it. Um, so he decided he was going to go rewrite that. And so as he started to rewrite the character and he flipped the genders of some of the characters, that's when you end up getting, uh, the kind of the basis of the story for some kind of wonderful, uh, apparently he also wanted Molly Ringwald to come back and play a female lead role in this movie. But when she declined, she said, no, I'm, I'm kind of done playing high school kids. I want to go on and do more adult roles. Uh, he apparently took that personally and kind of held a grudge against her and never chose her to work on any of his movies ever again. Yeah. Well, that's good. Right. Well, and I read it in a couple of other places that like, if you, and if you, if you crossed him or if you turned him down, he was kind of a person that would hold a little bit of a grudge and he would kind of take that personally. Huh? Uh, apparently John Hughes wrote Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's day off while he was supposed to be doing rewrites for some kind of wonderful. Apparently he and Howard Deutsch would be sitting in a hotel room or they're, they're working on this and, and, uh, Howard would fall asleep. And when he would wake up a little bit later, uh, I guess they were just blasting music and writing and when Howard would fall asleep and he'd wake up later and John Hughes would hand him something. He'd be like, Oh, here you go. And he'd start to read it. And he'd be like, this is not the movie that we're working on. He's like, Oh yeah, no, it was this other idea that he had, uh, that I had. And so that's how he ended up doing a good portion of the first draft of, uh, Ferris Bueller's day off. Huh. Um, let's see what else have I got here. I've got, um, oh, okay. So in one of the earlier scripts of the movie, so one of the original endings of this movie, uh, was in the movie and in the script, he does give, um, uh, he gives Watts the earrings at the end when you get to the end of the movie and he takes the earrings and gives them the Watts instead, uh, in the, he does say the line, you'd look good wearing my future. And in the film, the credits start to roll, but in the script, she says something like, uh, these babies go back in the morning. You're going to art school, and he replies with he replies and says, "We'll keep one of them and make it into a ring," insinuating that they should get married. Um, and then I guess she says something like, "You don't want to think about that one, do you?" They kind of banter back and forth, and then um, I guess that's when they have their first kiss. Not earlier in the movie, 
And uh, Keith jokes about something like she kissed him wrong or she was doing it wrong. And apparently she was interviewed about that um, just the last within the last few years or so. I think it was by Entertainment Weekly. And uh, <clears throat> Mary Stuart Masterson said that she, she doesn't really agree with the way the movie actually ended. Uh, she said, uh, this is a quote from her, all anyone says to me a quarter of a century later is, I love the part where you get the earrings. Uh, it's weird. This materialistic aspect is not who Watts is. She would have walked away victorious right to the pawn shop and would have sold the earrings. So that was interesting that that was her take on it as the, the character that she had played. Um, last couple things. The, uh, during the restaurant scene, uh, Watts is uh, lined up with the car parkers, and she does use the, uh, they're playing that, they're kind of gambling, playing that game, and she uses the line from uh, the Breakfast Club, mess with the bull, you get the horns, and she does that same uh, kind of hand, yes, hand motion. Right. So I thought that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one, and uh, I think we, we can kind of talk about this a little bit later too, Leah Thompson was interviewed by Salon.com, uh, I think a couple of years ago, and she said, quote, I also hear from more men than women who love this movie, uh, but I can't tell you why. Dennis would say it's her. Um, oh. She says, maybe it's because two girls are fighting over a guy, or it's because about a guy trying to find himself. And she said, I also hear from a lot of gay women who really love Watts. So, Well, that's okay. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll just jump right into it here. Uh, when was the first? Now, Dennis, I know what you're going to say, so I'll, I'll talk to Pat first. Uh, when was the first time you saw this, Pat? Was it, have you seen this before this week or before? I saw this movie for the first time about 36 hours ago. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. So, what's what's your initial take on it? Um, you know what? I I gotta I gotta say I'm gonna throw it to Dennis and say I know he's been talking about this movie. Um, I think we did. 16 candles or something. And we got into the whole John Hughes thing. Um, and I remember Dennis bringing this up and just saying, Oh, I can't, when do we get to talk about this? This movie's great. It's fun. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think I saw you guys texting back and forth, John, when you saw it and a couple days ago and you said, wow, that ending was great. And I completely agree. It just, it's just a fun movie. It's, it's really, you know, a, a, a fun story, a heartwarming story. And everything, everything works out in the end. And I'm a sucker for movies that have the happy ending. Um, the characters were fun. And uh, I didn't, I didn't find, how, how can I say this without sounding negative? I didn't find some of the stuff that I see in other John Hughes movies about teens that kind of get on my nerves. I didn't see that as much in this movie. Yeah. So it was kind of like, I just, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I'm not going to lie to you. I really love the character of Duncan. I mean, I, I think I, I signed in Dennis. I'm sorry. I kind of did my quote right away when, as soon as I got on the line and said, well, this must be the hen house. Cause it smells like chicken. Yeah. I mean, it was just, oh, I thought I mean, that's my girlfriend with that, with her, with her skin, with no skin or whatever. He's got the <laughs> what Wait, what did you say? I thought you were going to say the line where Duncan says, like, he draws the picture and the detention, and he's like, that's my girlfriend without any skin. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. So I, that's I, I'm just going to go on and on and gush about the movie. But, yeah, I really, I really, really enjoyed the movie. So I, I was going to ask you about that because you didn't, you really did not enjoy 16 Candles. No, and, I'm I'm right with him. I'm not a okay. big. I mean, I like John Hughes stuff, and I like like a lot of the other you know the, the other ones that he's done. And, and but the, as far as the teen ones, 
Breakfast Club I love. And then after that, I go into Pretty in Pink. And I, I've seen those movies like once. I don't watch, and I've seen bits and pieces of them. I don't watch and will not watch Pretty in Pink over again or 16 Candles. But I will watch this movie if it's on. If it's on, I'll watch the rest of it. Or I'll watch a good portion of it. Like, I, like I, I, I'm, not, I'm right with Pat on that. And I know what you're trying to sort of say with the holders. You don't, this is different from a lot of the other John Hughes films where there's certain things about those characters and the way they're played off where I didn't relate to them and I didn't like them as much. Who do you, I mean, you like, at the end of this movie, you pretty much like everybody except Hardy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, you kind yeah. of not feel sorry for Hardy a little bit, but it's like, you know, there's the rich, spoiled kid and you don't feel sorry for him, but you do, you know, it's, he becomes, he becomes harmless at the end. You know, yeah. and um, and so so really, you end up liking everybody. Like she is not, you know, Leah Thompson's character isn't the snooty, you know, uh, easily hit. You know, they're like just Watts's care. Everything plays off so well that you you walk. I think it's one of the better ending movies that you'll ever get for teens. I think there's other ones that you watch. I, I just feel like, and and I can echo sort of my daughter's. Um, view on this too. We just talked about in the car because she said, "What movie are you guys doing for the podcast tonight?" And I said, "Something, some kind of wonderful." And she like kind of laughs and stuff. And she's like, "Yeah." She goes, "That's the one she likes. She couldn't. She likes this one way better than the other ones. I think she saw the other ones. It kind of felt a little weird. She likes Breakfast Club, um, but like the other Sixteen Candles and the Pretty in Pink, which is her mother's, you know, favorite ones. But some kind of wonderful was was Autumn's favorite as well. And there's just something likable and I kind of know why she likes it. And I think that's the reason there's a lot of guys. We'll get into that, I guess, later. But um yeah. So this one and and I'm I'm kind of hijacking it here now, but I, it kind of goes into what you're talking about. This one to me really seemed like more so than his other teen movies, he's taking and I guess he did this in the other movies too, to a degree, but he's taking teenagers and elevating them to this status that you don't normally see in teen movies. And I think in a lot of the teen movies, you still see, you know, they're kind of goofy and they're kind of dumb and they're kind of, you know, it, it's, it's more comedy. Whereas this one's not really a comedy. And nope. I think, I think part of that's, what's different about this movie versus some of his other ones, even breakfast club, there were still some kind of goofy moments in breakfast club. Whereas this one, I, I remember watching it and thinking, this is darker is not the right word, but this is just more serious. More, serious, more drama, yeah. more. Um, this yeah. Is, yeah. This it's, is, this is definitely more serious than what I usually see from his. Cause and I, all the characters are actually smart. Right. You know, so I think it's like, you know, you have an intelligent conversation between a couple of 17 year olds. And normally I think in, in a lot of teen movies, you don't even, you know, even when the teenagers are the protagonist, you don't get a whole lot of intelligent conversation at the same level that, that John Hughes gives them, especially in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that was interesting because some, some critic reviews, when I looked at some of those before, were saying, like, it seems like it's so, like, I don't know if they said unbelievable or unreal. And I felt like that, that's the opposite of, like, Pretty in Pink and the other ones. I feel like this was more realistic and more relatable to a, to a typical person, at least to me growing up, um, being Keith. And, I, and, and if you're, you know, the, the wonder, if you're wondering the question of, uh, wondering the answer for the question, like, why do guys, so many guys like this more than you? Because, it, yeah, it's not because two girls are fighting over a guy. Because they're not. They're not, they're not actually – Leah's not fighting over Keith. Right. You know, it's Keith trying to prove something, trying to prove that you're as good as the other guy, trying to prove that it's not about money and the house and the looks. It's like the regular guy, the regular kid is trying to prove, like, I can still wine and dine. I can still be romantic. I can still be sensitive. I can still be caring. I can still be a decent human being. And and that should be enough to get the girl, not the amount of money that I have, not the other stuff. And and 
and, and, and even though he's using the earring, the, those are, it was just kind of like, that's his, where he crossed the line, I think, to a certain degree where he's not perfect. But, and it kind of comes off with the dad's conversation later on. I just think it's like, what do you, I don't know. I, I totally can relate to that where you go, wow, why is that girl with that guy? You know, and like, okay, that's just all about popularity. And, and anybody who's, who's not in that group, which is, I think, the majority of people, totally could identify with this movie and totally pull for Keith to, to, to yeah, you, you show her that you're a good guy. And it doesn't, you know, he's not even about getting the girl. It really isn't. Like the movie's not him in, in some ways getting it. It's about proving that he's good enough to get the girl. It's a difference. There's a subtle difference there between, you know, he wants to get her, like, like, like actually like have her fall in love with him. Or does he just want to prove that he's a pretty darn good guy and that, you know, she's making the mistake by fitting in with all the popular kids. Well, I think it's, it's him trying to prove he can do things on his own merits. Cause you've got that whole, you know, and, and the, the whole love story part of it with him trying to get the girl, trying to get Amanda Jones and, and all that, um, that part I liked, I think maybe the, the relationship to me that was even more interesting and, and had a little bit more of a twist than what I expected was him and his dad. Yeah. And I was really kind of, I was surprised about that because you get to the scene where, cause this entire time, while he's also trying to prove he can get the girl based on his own merits, he's also trying to prove to his dad that he doesn't need college necessarily. Like he's, he's got maybe a different plan. And what I thought was really interesting about this and and with most other teen movies, um, you know, you're going to portray the adults as the villains, but but I think John Hughes does a good job of not doing that. And you get the dad yelling at him and you get this scene where I'm, I mean, I'm worried his dad's going to punch him, but I know I also have in the back of my mind, John Hughes doesn't, he doesn't do that with parents. He's not going to, you get, you get maybe some indirect stuff about parents, maybe not being abusive, but being overbearing in the breakfast club. Um, but in this movie, I got really worried in that scene. Cause I thought, wow, that the dad's really laying into him after he finds out that he took this money and he, he just spent it and it's all gone. But then it, it has this twist to it where all of a sudden the son just kind of says, look, when am I going to be old enough to make my own decisions? I mean, you say I'm 18 now. Okay. Well, next year I'm 19. The next year I'm 20. When, when is it going to be my life? And all of a sudden the dad calms down and that I actually wasn't expecting. Cause I think in most other movies like this, the parents blow up and the parents are considered the bad guys. And then the teen goes off and rebels and does their own thing anyway. Well, and the, but it's a great role model, I think, too, for the for the kid in this case, because the way the kid handles the dad isn't like, screw you, get off my back. He argues logically. Right. And he argues passionately, and he argues sensitively to him, and he says, you know, what other father would let you do this? And he's, he's like, you know, he's like, well, none. And he's like, well, why should I? And he's like, because you believe in me. Right. I mean, it was just great lines, great, and, and the dad's basically diffused at that point. Because he's saying, I get it, dad. I understand why you're disappointed. I wasn't, you know, I was too, too afraid to sort of say something to you about that's your dream isn't my dream. Um, these are the, you know, the, the whole art thing. Uh, and when he says that I'm that kid that doesn't fit in, he's like, I didn't, I thought things were going good, Keith. And he's like, uh, along the line, I think he says something like, um, he, he, says, goes, I, he says, I like I'm, art. I'm I work that, in a, kid that doesn't fit out. Yeah. Art. I like I art. I work in a gas girl, station. Uh, my girl, whatever. Mm-hmm. My best friend's a tomboy. Mm-hmm. I'm into art, whatever. And the whole thing. And when the dad's like, you know, kind of like, wow, you're that kid that doesn't fit in. Yeah. And he's like, I, how, how something about him not knowing or whatever. He's like, well, you're, you're not, you're my dad. You're not supposed to like, you're not right. going to know. Like, yeah, I, like in other words, like that's part of like the life that you don't always know is because yeah. you're my dad. And, 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 and he wouldn't know necessarily that secret sort of part of school. 
Yeah, I did. So I like that. I, I just think that kind of, I was going to say that I think that's one of my favorite things in this movie is the relationship with his father. Yeah. The relationship with the sister. They're very realistic. And in the end, the girl, the sister is pulling for him. In the beginning, mm-hmm. she's making kind of sounds like it's the bratty sister. But in the end, she's like, you know, I'm pulling for you and everything else. And so I just I, like I said, I think it's 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 there's so many good levels of this. And I think he in the past, John Hughes films, sometimes the adults are idiots. And the yeah. dad's not an idiot in this one. And that's what I liked. I was worried that it was going to become that, or like you said, he would get so upset or overbearing. Instead, he and he says, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to still ride you about college. So it's not like it's completely right. over, but it's good for now. You got to do what you got to do. And I understand you passionately have to do this. And, and he's like, you got to trust me, dad. And, you know, and, and, and he does. And I think there was just a great, great argument, a great, uh, just a great scene. Yeah. And you'd, you'd believe, you'd believe that maybe like what happens after the credits roll, you'd believe that maybe there's going to be a conversation about, yeah, I want to go to art school or yeah, I'm interested in this or yeah, I'm interested, you know, and then if the dad's advocating for, well, okay, but you know, what's, what's your life going to be like after this one date? You know, what, what's your plan? I mean, do you want to work in an auto shop for the rest of your life i mean maybe that's what you want to do but if you've got this artistic talent how is it you can imagine that that conversation will take place i think you know just piggybacking off of what dennis said based on that scene and um again i I think that makes the characters a little bit more i don't know just positive role models and positive examples set to the audience it makes the characters a little bit more uh, what would you say, three-dimensional as opposed to the cutouts of, well, here's the angry, overbearing parents. I, you can imagine that the next chapter of this this movie would be, you know, a little bit more of a a positive one. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, and like, what is it, the last half hour of this movie? Because I think that conversation takes place about the last half hour. If you really think about it, in the last half hour, every single major character, and again, even you could argue Hardy to a certain degree, um, learns something about themselves and grows and changes. You know, every every single character does that from Watts to Leah Thompson's character to the dad, like everybody grows. Everybody becomes a better person to a certain degree within that last half hour and realizes things about themselves that they didn't know at the start of the film. You know, and and I think that's why it's got such a great finish to it. I think that's why it's a a, a really likable movie for so many people, because it is a it's it's a it's a good it is a good feeling ending, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to jump back and say my a comment. I want to clarify when I was saying like, in the dad would say, do you really want to work in an auto, you know, as a, you know, in an auto place for the rest of your life? I have nothing against that. If that's what, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean that to sound negative job and do art on the side or whatever. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. And and I think you get, yeah. Yeah. I think it would be, and like, I wouldn't, you know, if I was the father in that, if that's what you want to do and that makes you happy and that's what, bam, that sounds good. But What's your plan? Are you going to go get schooled in it? Are you going to go, you know, apprentice yourself? I, like I said, I just wanted to clarify my statement. I wasn't trying to take well, a drink. Auto, yeah, yeah. By all means, I am most certainly not. I don't think that definitely, either. definitely. So, okay. So I, I will. Now, this is the first time I had seen this movie. I had not seen this movie before. I don't even think I'd ever seen clips of this movie before. Uh, watching it just a few days ago. So first time I'd ever seen it. I've seen most of John Hughes' other movies. Grew up watching 16 Candles. Um, you know, watch Breakfast Club for the first time, probably in middle school, high school. Um, you know, watched Home Alone, Great Outdoors. I mean, all those others. I've, I've seen all those before. This one kind of this one kind of slipped through the cracks. And I, I know I had heard of this one before, but I don't know if it just... It, it was low on the totem pole just because you don't, I don't know that I hear that much about this one compared to the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there were a couple things, and, and again, I've only, I've only seen the movie once. So I think it would help me to go back and rewatch it again. But there were a couple things that kind of maybe caught me a little bit off guard the first time I was watching this. And it actually kind of goes back to you know, one of the points that uh, Leah Thompson made when she said that she wasn't sure. You know, she gets comments from different people who like this movie for different reasons. Um, if I had not known that this movie came out in 1987, when I first started watching this movie, I was thinking, wow, this is a really progressive movie because I think the drummer girl really likes Amanda Jones. <laughs> like I thought at first, I almost thought it was going to take that route, that it wasn't so much that she you know, that she liked Keith and that she all of a sudden this was coming up now that he had someone else that he was going off to. At first, I wasn't quite sure which way it was going to go. I was like, okay, I know this movie is about a love triangle, but which way is the triangle going? Because... At the beginning here, she's not saying anything. She's just kind of giving these looks at all these different people. And I couldn't quite tell if she was leaning more towards liking Amanda herself, but it's 1987, so she's not going to say anything, especially having that one point in the movie where, you know, some guy walks up to her and is like, hey, you know, everybody says you're a lesbian. Um, and I thought, is, hmm, is 1987, was John Hughes progressive enough in 1987 to do that in a movie? So I, that was something that kind of threw me off at first. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you guys noticed that at all. And, and Dennis, you obviously saw this many, many years ago. I saw ago, it so. back probably. I didn't see it when it came out the theater or anything like that. We wouldn't have seen this type of movie at the theater with okay. my dad. But um, I didn't know if it was I, taking a uh, like chasing VHS Amy, chasing Amy kind of route. Or? It, probably like uh, probably before 90. I was still I know I was still like in high school when I saw this senior year or something like that. Probably junior, senior year. And that's why, again, that's probably why I liked it at the time. Because I think you also, you don't only, only identify with Keith, you know, as the guy who's trying to prove mm -hmm. something to a certain degree that you, you, you know, you're worthy of that other person. Um, and that it's not, it shouldn't just be the rich people for me. Cause, cause in my school, we had the rich Westchester kids and we had the blue collar kids who took the bus to St. Joe's, and, you know, and, and we could see some of those hardy kids, you know, who threw the party, who were the big, you know, uh, had the, had the million, million dollar homes and stuff. And so, so there was that sort of feel that I know I, I definitely, um, identified with back then. And then I think you, everybody's also been on the flip side of it and you've been on Watts's, you know, where you see somebody that you really like or care about that you might be friends with and you see somebody else with them and that's heartbreaking. And that's her sitting in the, the empty bleachers and, you know, uh, at the, uh, where, where were they at the art museum or wherever yeah, I think that, it was. kind of concert hall oh the concert the concert hall that's right you know and she's up there watching it and you just totally like are feeling and you know oh my god like poor watts because you know she already likes him yeah and and he's just too stupid to figure it out at this point or just too focused on proving you know he has to do this with with uh amanda jones first he has to get through what he's doing there um and he and, and then that's how they plot the movie at the end once he gets done with that with with Amanda um, and they go through that whole conversation. It's like all of a sudden, boom, it just clicks a light switch and he sees her. And, and so does, and, and it was funny because Amanda Jones already saw this before he saw it. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of an interesting twist too. I did not see that coming by the time, you know, I think most other movies like this, he, he gets the girl and you find out at the end, okay, no, this wasn't, it wasn't a joke to her. You know, she, she wasn't going through with it because of that reason. And then all of a sudden it's the twist of, she tells him, now, you meant to give these to somebody else. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's, uh, I didn't expect that to come. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of how they both used each other. 
because right. he's like, you used me to get back at Hardy initially. And then all of a sudden she's like, well, you used me, <laughs> you know, to prove to yourself that you're good enough. So it was, it, it's, it's like I said, it's very, I thought it was very intelligent for teenagers, you know, and, and it wasn't like freshmen. It was like older, you know, junior seniors. And it was just a smart, smart uh, script. I think I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Obviously I've already said that yeah. many times, but yeah. Yeah, John, and I looked back uh, when I first watched it, like I said, I kind of was looking back on it with 21st century eyes because I was thinking the same thing, like, oh, my gosh, are they going to go the twist where um, Watts ends up falling for the, for the, you know, Marty McFly's mom or whatever? You know, like I had that same thought that you did. And that's weird because back then I didn't, and that's a different sign of the times, too, of, I guess, how more open and out, you know, how things are. Oh, yeah nowadays because it's more of a possibility because you've seen things like that where that would definitely have been more taboo back then right um so me at that time i wasn't even thinking that i picked up early on that i felt you know that she was uh she was into him yeah the comments and looks and the way she she just aggravated by him like you're so stupid but i love you and it's killing me and i don't know how to say it um and you just don't get it and there's so many the kiss it's probably one of the best kisses ever she tells him how Mm -hmm. to kiss you got to put your hand, you got to, and then he kind of laughs and she's like, you know what? I, I got better things to do. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to take this seriously. And then she's like, I forgot what she says after, but it was kind of like something about uh, like, like it was all right. Like you're, you're good. Like kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you're good. Yeah. And you could tell at that moment for sure, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, I forgot what the line she says after they have the kiss. She tells him you're all right. Something like, uh, yeah, it's good. Some, I don't know. The way she does it though, whatever she says is just like, He's like, he's not sure if it was good. And she's like telling him, yeah, yeah, it was too good. And, you know, and she has to like walk away and you know that. Yeah. And then I like that they reflect back to it and it's kind of the spinning build and the, 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 the music at the end and he's walking, goes, runs to catch up to her and stuff. And it's, it's a little bit like uh, planes, trains, automobiles, just without yes. kissing. Yeah. You know. No, and, no, and no John Candy, my, Steve Martin kissing. I don't know if you're gonna get the quotes or lines in here, but wow, just so I don't forget it, it's like just a quote that I think is such a great quote, and um, and you wish every kid would would follow it, but it's the the line where where she says, um, "I'd rather be on my own for all the right reasons." Right? Mm-hmm. See, yeah, I'd rather be al- I'd rather be alone for all the right reasons than instead of with somebody for all the wrong ones. Yeah, yeah. Which is what he said to her earlier in the film, right? I think he. Yeah, I think he does, doesn't he? And then she's they're, they're kind of having the heart to heart, and she says, "Well, why don't?" And that's what he said. Like, I'd be, rather be alone for all the right reasons, you know. And she was saying where she came from, where because she was upset because yeah. uh, they were talking about her friends because her friends abandoned her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then yeah. Well, and I think the other twist, the having her come from the you know the not so popular, but but because she's fit in with them and kind of play that role, she gets accepted by them or whatever. But it's like she's not really one of them either. Yeah. Right. You know, she doesn't come from the same, you know, from the rich neighborhood type of thing. And she's not exactly that, but she, she, she sells it. She, she, you know, is trying to fit in at that point. And then at the end of that, she's not. So I did want to make sure we said something about Pat. I, I think you kind of mentioned him as being your favorite character. The other relationship oh, yeah. in this movie that was also a bit of a twist that you don't, I don't think you don't, you don't normally see is you start the movie off and, and you've got the bully. And I'm like, oh, great. This guy's going to just keep coming yeah. back and he's going to cause all kinds of problems for Keith. And But other than that first interaction when, uh, you know, he's kind of sticks his foot out and, and he's, you know, trying to bully him, uh, Duncan pretty quickly, especially, you know, you kind of thought when he gets to detention, and I love that whole part where he tries to arrange 
so that he gets himself in detention. And then at the exact same time, Amanda Jones is arranging it so she doesn't have to do detention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, teacher's hair looks very nice. Um, that uh, he gets into detention and it's Duncan and all of his buddies in there. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is this is not going to be good. He's trapped. And then it goes to that scene where he's drawing his, he's doing his sketches and, and Duncan is sketching with a knife into the desk and, you know, rips the desk off to show him. And, and then I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. It's like, it's, it's not your typical, you know, it's not that typical teen movie where you've got the bully and he's the one dimensional character that's just the bully and nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. And they actually end up becoming friends and they, they're doing each other a favor. And then you, you get to the great scene at the end where they're in the party and uh, I, I was actually going to end the podcast with this, but but it is I, actually is one of my favorite quotes from the movie, so I'll, I'll just do it now, too. Um, I'll leave out one of the words. I'm here to kick your... And you know it. You know it. And everybody here knows it. And above all, you deserve it. In fact, I think it's safe to say this party is about to become a historical fact. Yeah, yeah. That's and then he tells the other guys to go mingle, and the other guy with the yeah. glasses, gives with the uh-huh. long hair, gives the girl the look, and she's like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like hey boys go like i forgot what he says to him like yeah i think we're gonna mingle a little bit there we're gonna keep it down to a respectable something or other yeah like yeah and it's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna beat any of them up i'm just gonna make them cry a little bit yeah. i'm just gonna just stare bit. at him yeah, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stare at him yeah yeah just a little bit <laughs> yeah. it's uh yeah let's see uh, oh here's the other one yeah we're gonna bring this party up to a nice respectable level that's it don't yeah. worry we're not gonna hurt anyone we're not even gonna touch him we're just gonna make him cry a little just by looking at him Yeah. No. Yeah, I really I mean, as much as, as as Bender was kind of the lovable bad guy type of thing, um I, I like Duncan better than Bender. I like this guy. I, I like this guy. Yeah. And then even what and, and you know the kind of the thing too is and all I'm gonna say is no, I want to I want to phrase this carefully, but it's sort of like some of my problems with with some of the John Hughes movies when I've seen more of these teen things is, yeah, he tried to identify the stereotypes and he tried to identify the 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 OK, well, this is the brain. This is the such and such. This is the popular. Case. He also seems to kind of lock them into those roles, too, in his movies. So. And I mean, a little of that is good because like in the breakfast club, they showed the bender as, Hey, you know what? Maybe this guy's like, you know, he's like a hood, but there's a reason. I mean, you know, the dad's putting cigarettes out in his arm, the dad, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, we, and I think that was an important thing to tell. And that, and and that's where that bender character really becomes, you know, more three-dimensional. However, in other movies, John, like you said, is, oh my gosh, is this going to be, okay, well, this guy's the bully, and the bully is just, he's the jerk, and everything like that. But in this movie, I think what it shows is, okay, the guy, all right, maybe he's, you know, does, obviously doesn't have as much money as the other, you know, the, the rich people do, and maybe he doesn't quite have the same things going on that this, you know, that uh, the kid does, you know, Keith. But that doesn't necessarily mean you, you're not just going to assume that he's coming from a broken home because it was his dad. Wasn't his dad the security guard that yeah. let him into the art museum? Yeah. And I mean, that relationship is cool. He's like, hey, don't get me in trouble. Don't worry, pops. It's, and, and maybe that wasn't his dad. Maybe I'm a, no, I think it was. No, I thought it was his dad. Yeah. And I mean, it just kind of showed that, okay, you know, sort of like Bender said in the thing, why would you assume just because it's shop class, it's easy? Why are you making those assumptions about me? In this movie, it kind of defied those those categories that I think a lot of the other John Hughes 
movies put the characters in. And it's like, why would you assume this guy comes from a home where he's beaten or, you know, all this kind of thing. He's just, that's just kind of his thing. He's the tough guy. Now, you know, his dad and him seem to have a good relationship, but do you get where I'm going with that? It's just, it just kind of broke out those, those, those stereotypes as well. Yeah. I mean, even the main character, even Keith. Yeah. He was an outcast, but he wasn't awkward about it. He was very, very comfortable in his own skin. And that's what I think is the, is the, is the real cool lesson, you know, and that's what all the characters were. It was like each character. Yeah. They grew and they changed, but when they interacted with the other characters, they were all, they were all demanding the other characters kind of step to them. Like even with his friend Watts, you know, he was telling her like, look, this is who I am. I mean, you got to get with this. And she was telling him like, well, look, we got to spend time apart because this is who I am. And you got to meet me halfway. And even when they went to dinner, you know, and he kind of said, well, this, you know, with the, with the dream date. And he said, well, this is all just a joke. You're, you know, you're a mess. You know, you have to get your friend's permission and all that. And there was a little bit of that where she's, you know, was pulled back. But then she said, well, no, this wasn't a joke. And I don't really appreciate you making those accusations about like each character kind of broke out of what you would broke out of the stereotypes that you'd assume they'd be. I don't know. Does that, you get what I'm going with that? Or Yeah. I mean, I think that's something he did pretty well in this movie was more so than the other ones was this was not, if you wanted to take a movie and show what teenagers could be like, what a dad could be like, what a bully could really be like, as a human being, as a well-rounded, three-dimensional human being, I think this one, more so than a lot of his other movies, and I still think that's something he's really good at in his other movies, is breaking out of the stereotypes, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and while they might be, some of them might be two-dimensional characters, I think this one in particular, he, he went beyond that and did an even better job of showing these people as well-rounded human beings and not just, yeah, you know, I, I sat down, I wrote this character, and this character is the artsy kid or this character is the beautiful girl or they're more than just that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I pulled up the dialogue for the, uh, the last part where it was, um, where Amanda says, you think I used you? And then Keith is like, didn't you? And she's like, I I don't know in a way. And he's like, in a way, Amanda, there's only one way you use someone you either do or you don't. And then she came back with, which sums up really like what he was doing all along, I think. And you didn't use me? God, you hypocrite. What's hanging in that museum? Huh? My soul? No, it's my face. You're using me to pay back every guy with more money and more power than you. Paint any other color you want, it's still you using me. Which is what I think he was, you know, like I said, it was. He was he, it was him being that sort of outcast kid and just proving to himself and insecurities. So you're dealing with insecurities there and he's just trying to prove that he could be just as romantic. He could be even more romantic and more thoughtful and more, you know, and that those things should trump the money and the power. And that's what he's out to prove. He's got that chip on his shoulder, you know, even though it's not like a, an attitude, it's why he's doing all this. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and it's great that she identifies that, you know, and then out of that though, she becomes, you know, and identifies with what he said, where she talks about how she let herself down, you know, because he actually kind of like inspires her. And I think, Oh, here it is. The, um, I hate feeling ashamed. I hate where I'm, I hate where I'm from. I hate watching my friends get everything their hearts desire. I gave into that hatred and I turned on what I believed in. I didn't have to, you didn't. In other words, he didn't do that. He's willing to be who he is and not sell out, you know, and she gets inspired. So, so I think we with breakfast club. We always wondered what happened the next day, the next Monday, you know? And I'm like, in this movie, I just think like, okay, he's dating. Keith is dating Watts. Um, and they're still good friends with Amanda Jones from this point. 
Yeah. Know? Like I still think they're good. Like how, how are Keith and her not good friends, you know, and Hardy's kind of like they say in there, he's over because he just got embarrassed at the uh, party. So his cloud is gone. Mm-hmm. His power, his tough guy thing is gone. Yeah. He's so going to go. The end, I mean, it's a, it's ultimately, you can assume that there's that happy ending. That's a realistic one in, in, in many ways, I think. Hardy's, like, Hardy's you know, going to, cause he's not with Amanda Jones, but he's going to be friends with her, you know, and they're cool and it's good. Yeah. Hardy's going to change his, Hardy's going to change his last name to Kane. Uh, I think his first name ends up being Joe. Uh, he's going to change his name to Joe Kane. He's going to go to college and he's going to be a college football quarterback. And it's in a movie called The Program, and he's still a jerk. <laughs> yeah. We used—I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. We used to watch that movie all the time in the locker room yeah. in high school. Yeah, it's the uh, same actor. It's the same. Yeah, Joe Kane was his name, and uh, it's the exact same actor who played Hardy. And uh, so that's what he does. He actually ends up going. You know, he becomes an alcoholic, and he goes to college and, and tries to be a college uh, football quarterback. And maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But his his life is never quite the same because of it. Cool. All right. Well, what about favorite quotes? Do we have? I mean, we've already said a few of them. We've already you, said a bunch. Have, of them. I think uh, my, my favorite one is the one where it's uh, I'd rather be with somebody. Uh, you know, that one as far as the more serious quote. Uh, there's, I mean, there's. I think the. I mean, you guys go ahead first. I just I do want to say favorite scene though. Like that yeah, favorite. Yeah, scene. There's lots of favorite scenes. One scene that I'm for, that we don't want to forget that I think is a little bit of throwback to the more kind of Ferris Bueller, um, sort of fun type of or like a little bit. It's the scene where the dad's in the, in the school yeah. and the girl screams, yeah. <laughs> honey, <Yeah. laughs> he's waving to her and then she just looks and then it's a zooming on her face and it's the big long shriek. Yeah. Yeah. Dad sees me. He's in school right now. What is he doing in school with all my friends? Like yeah. that was, I think that was good. And then, and then she stops screaming and then it just gets quiet. And then she calmly says, may I go to the nurse, please? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's> a, yeah. <laughs> all right. Pat, do you have a favorite, uh, favorite scene yeah. or favorite quote? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Dennis, you know, are you listening to the scream? <laughs> I think Dennis is watching the scream. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, uh, I agree with Dennis's quote, you know, the, the, the better to be, um, you know, alone and, and who I am and all that kind of thing. I, I mean, that's the serious quote. Um, anything Duncan says at that party has got to be the best quote, you know, um, just for, for overall fun. Um, scenes, I kind of like that party scene at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked, I liked when, he, when the guy came and was just being an absolute jerk to him when he was working at the gas station. Yeah. And, you know, he said, check the oil. And then I think at the very end, after he drove away, I'm like, man, that guy's you know, that guy's mouthing off to him. He's going to do something to his car. And I think he pulled the dipstick out. He did. Yeah. And he put it in the garbage. Yeah. He threw it in the garbage. And I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. And I was kind of hoping they were going to show the, you know, I thought they were going to show a, a follow-up to that. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, so I thought those were the scenes. The one scene that, that were amazing. The one scene I didn't get was him walking, playing chicken with the train. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get it. Now, maybe, maybe Dennis can frame this for me, oh, or maybe we both can, but it's like that really, it, it almost was like a, like a head fake because I wasn't, I wasn't sure which way the movie was going. Like he was walking with the train and it was like, man, is this guy suicidal? Is he burnt out? Is he on the edge? Is he just, yeah, I kind of, I got this, I got the same thing, same thing too. I kind of felt the same way. I'm like, okay, so this kid's depressed, he's suicidal, but 
then you get into, like you said, you get into the rest of the movie, and it's that's not really the case. No, it, it, it didn't really... It, if they were trying to fake you out, it faked you out. If it tried to show that... if it, I don't know what it tried to show, that he was confident. I mean, maybe yeah. they're trying to show his confidence, because he was a confident kid, maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't quite get that scene, so... Yeah. That's all. That's what I'd say. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm trying to well, think. Well, it's at the beginning of the film, and I think it's kind of symbolic of what he tries to do in the film, which he knows he's going. He's he's risking everything. You know, he's risking proving himself um, with the fact that he's about to get his ass kicked at this party and get trounced by all the guys, and he knows it. And he still goes through with it. You know, and I think it's kind of that little bit of that dare, that toughness in him that he's willing to, you know, and, and he's not going to kill himself. I didn't really get that vibe. I thought more of just a, like a, just literally like, what, what, why does anybody play chicken? I guess, you know, it's kind of that. It's yeah, sort of, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. See, the part of it. It's sort of sad because that's the opening scene. Um, right. Yeah. Right. One. So I just think it's like, okay, here's this kid who's just a normal kid. And he's going to go through with something that, you know, and, and, and I don't think not going through with the train, but I'm saying like the train could be the metaphor for like, you know, he's, he's about to step out of his comfort zone, risk his for it. Um, he's going to stand up to the, the, the big shot. He's going to go and take his beating if he has to. And it was, but he's going to do it because he's going to prove something. He's got something to prove. And I think it was, I don't know. I just, I don't see it as a, I never, I, I didn't get it as a suicidal thing at all. I didn't think well, it would be better to I might be out in the middle. I might be out in the middle of the desert with a comb. Uh, but to me, that was still like he's walking directly at a train, and that seems to be like reckless. Whereas but he knows how fast it's going, and he knows he could easily get out of the way for him. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's. I felt like he was just like, yeah, you're coming, and and, and just this is it kind of it's sort of a little bit of monotony of his life. Not you know, like just kind of being stuck in it. And there could be a little a twinge of depression there, but like uh, the fact that he's kind of walking like that, but I don't think it's like a suicidal depression type of thing. I, I, well, I, obviously not suicidal because he stepped out of the way and he was yeah. smirking and all that. It just seemed, it just seemed out of character. It just seemed reckless, which yeah. he didn't throughout the entire film. He never seemed reckless. Even at that party, he seemed in control. I mean, it just, even, yeah. Well, yeah. That, was, that was just, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a favorite scene or favorite quote. And I, I'm, I think I'm kind of with you guys. It was the, the party at the end and then kind of the, the very, very, I mean, I, I really like the ending of the movie, the way the party ended and then the way, you know, she told him, look, I'm, I'm not the one you were supposed to give these to. Um, and then he runs off and, and roll credits and that's how it ends. I, I mean, I think I like that. If, if I were to take like the last, like you said, kind of like the last half hour of the movie from the conversation with the dad where he tells him, look, just you believe in me. So just trust me and let me do this. I think from that point on, that to me was the strongest part of the movie. And yeah. even though I say that's the strongest part of the movie, I still, and, and we don't have to get into this because I know we've, we've already kind of talked about it a little bit. I still am not 100% sure what that whole setup was of the you know the fine dining and the museum when he thought this was a joke i'm not sure what all that was supposed to accomplish like if it was supposed to throw it back in her face and be some yeah. kind of a revenge thing or it's not a revenge thing it's you know what like i think um i think part of it is the idea that as as a guy he didn't you know he, he like i said he, he probably knew that he 
wasn't going to get the girl in the end, but he was going to make a case for you just, if you can win them over, you know, like, like it, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to say. Cause it's like, an, it's, it's, I, I, I can totally, I think, I think back to even like dating and stuff back then there was, you know, if you're going to break up, some people don't care what the other people think. He still wanted to be the good guy walking away from this. Yeah. So knowing that he's probably not going to get her in the end, but he wants to make sure that she feels like, like, okay, no one else has ever done this for you. Okay. Look at this. No, what other guy has Hardy ever done anything close to this with you? Has he ever done something so thoughtful, you know, and knowing that he's still not going to get her, it's okay. Cause it's like, and to him, he feels like it's a win. Like I proved to her that I, I can be this great guy, whether I get, you, you know, whether, whether we end up together or not, isn't the point at that point. Cause if he thinks it's a joke, you know, like it's a setup or something like that. He is still going to go through with this and prove to her that he could be the sensitive guy. And I think he still cared about her. And I think he, they got the idea that a lot of the joke was, was more for Hardy, not so much for, from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think he really felt that she was, I think he, I think he did get her enough that he didn't see it as her being this evil person who's going to set him up and get him beat up. I don't think that he thought that at all. Well, he kind of did. Cause he says that to her when they're sitting at the, that amphitheater. You know, he kind of says, wasn't this all a plan? You know, wasn't this all a plan? Wasn't this all a joke? And it wasn't until then. So you're already like two thirds. I don't think he means like a joke that like she, like, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I I think, I think up to that point, he still thought she was in on it. And it seems like it, like you were like two thirds of the way through this date or however far it was into the date. And that's when he finally says, you know, wasn't this a joke? Wasn't this all a thing for me to, you know, take me to this party and, and beat me up and. And it, it seemed to me like up until that, that's why that part didn't necessarily make sense to me. Like this whole elaborate thing that he had set up. I get it. If you know, the way you're describing it, that I'm fine with, you know, if he's trying to prove to her that there are great guys out there, um, you know, that makes sense to me. I don't think I got that watching this movie for the first time and maybe I need to watch it again. Yeah, but, I watch it. Yeah. But yeah, I, again, I, I that part, that was really the only part that was kind of confusing to me is why, if he thinks, if he truly thinks this is a trap, then why is he going through all of this? And what? where's the payoff at the end of all this? And when there was no payoff, like I thought he was setting up his own kind of a reverse trap for them, um, you know, where he was going to trick them in the end and say, hey, I, I knew you guys were going to do this all along. Boom, here's my surprise. Um, you know, I when that didn't happen, I was like, okay, well, I, I don't know that I necessarily, it doesn't mean I didn't like this whole section of the movie it just i wasn't entirely sure why there was this whole elaborate thing at the end with the chauffeur and the restaurant and the but if it was what you were saying where he's planning the the most awesome date that she's ever been on yeah you know that i am going to that makes that makes more sense you do something that no one has ever done for you that you will remember so even after this is all over you won't in a way there's a little not not necessarily not an evil thing but a uh and again, he's not a perfect character. He's trying to be the ultimate, and he is a really good guy, but he's also, by him trying to prove something, and she calling him the hypocrite at the end and using him, She that she's called it right, that whole line about, you know, you used me to prove to all of your other guy and to prove to her, like, that he is a good guy and that there's good guys out there, but it's it's ultimately, I'm going to put, I'm going to do things for you that no one else will ever do, and you'll, anybody else is never going to light, you know, almost light, light a candle to this. What other guy is going to have this painting? What other guy is going to take you to all the special? Like this would be a date for you to remember that when you're not with me because you're going back to Hardy or whatever possibly he's thinking, you're never going to – Hardy will never compare to what I just did. Like I think that's how he wins. 
and 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 he's willing to to go along with it and take the beating even to that point if he has to to prove this is the guy that I am like this is the type of guy that I am that you you know I, I think that's part of that yeah it's that ultimate proving you know like that you're worthy of it that you're worthy that you know and that's I I I, I think I got that early I'm, and again I've seen the movie more times than you guys have right so I don't know how much of that I picked up it's hard to remember back then but I, I definitely identified with the movie back then I remember thinking and loving this movie as a as a teenager um but as I saw it, as I got older, I just like really could see like more of that part of it. Like I, he, I, I watching the movie, I almost automatically think at some point he knows he's never going to get Amanda Jones as his girlfriend. He knows that. And it's like, he's already in this and it was kind of that thing, but I'm going to see it through. I'm going to see it through. And I think she does the same thing. Cause she does the date with him or like does like initially gets with him just to make Hardy jealous. You know, if that's what start, remember if that's what that's what starts it all with her. She she basically agrees to go out with him when he asked her at the right time, and she was trying to she she only said yes to him initially because she was trying to make Hardy jealous. Right. So ultimately, both did this, and they're kind of like stuck together in this, and they're going to go through and see this through. You know, and I think that's where they're at. They're both going to see this all the way through. Her for her reasons, him for his reasons, and and his reasons was to prove that that he's ultimately you know a good guy and no one else will ever treat you like this. Yeah. And once he did it, that's where I think then his eyes were kind of lifted where now he sees Watts who was all there. Cause he, he had blinders on for this mission. It was almost like a mission. Like he had to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, and before well, we were, favorite line, so I'm yeah. hers, uh, you break his heart. You, I break your face. I do, Yeah. I like <laughs> and I will say, and I cannot, I couldn't find any of them online. Um, and I cannot remember them off the top of my head, but my, uh, some of my other favorite lines in the movie were from the little sister with, uh, Candace Cameron. Yeah. Just so like some of her little comments about, you know, I don't know if I'm getting enough nutrition or, you know, you're making the, the comments about like, she's, she seems like she's older and smarter than anybody else yeah. in the room. And just like every little comment she made was hilarious. Well, then she's like at the end, he really didn't go ape on you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he must be saving it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I, and I think the sweet sister at the end too, because she knows he's going out and, he's, and she knows all this now, and she's like pulling for him still, and like, you know, so it's kind of like the little sister that is is can be annoying and can kind of be messing with you all the time, but then when push comes to shove, she really cared about him. So I mean, the whole family thing was he had a great family too, like mm-hmm. ultimately, yeah, you know, the dad was and the dad's a typical dad, but the dad was a good dad too, and and he handled that whole conversation. I mean, there's just like I said, it's it's. It's one of the better feeling um, movies they get. And and for the record, because I know everybody's like big on the whole Leah Thompson with me, but I'm like, honestly, in this film, watching it every single time, it's it's Mary Stuart Masterson in this film. Mm-hmm. I had the crush on Mary Stuart Masterson after this. Well, I, I, I was actually going to say the same thing because I know before Leah, you. It wasn't Leah Thompson. Yeah. Leah Thompson was Leah Thompson. I like her in other things. Um, but for this movie, it's like, no, you want, who do you want to be with? You know, I don't want to, you want to be with, uh, with her. Yeah. Yeah, because I know in the past you've you've kind of made that connection, but like this, it's this movie and Leah Thompson. But I'm like, well, no, actually, it, it's Master Masterson. Would, would go the other way, yeah. That's who you have the crush on in the end, because you're just like you're just you know that she's heartbroken and that she's got this tough thing, and she's so you know, and there's this girl underneath everything, and yeah, and I I do kind of agree with the ending where you know, it, although, what was the criticism that she wouldn't have took in the earrings? Um, in the original script, uh, she was going to, 
in the, in the original, well, uh, that was what Mary Stuart Masterson said. She said, well, that doesn't jive with the character. She would have liked, yeah, as soon as the credits rolled, she would have walked down the street to a pawn shop and sold them. Um, the original well, script. Why do we know that she didn't? Well, that's possible. Yeah, we don't know that they probably could have done that after. But I, I think, I don't know, like my, my thing on that is I think there's a little bit of everybody revealed something about themselves here. And here the tomboy revealed that in a way she is still a girl and all that right, too. Right, And that she does like pretty things and she does like things like that. You know? Well, because she, she, and was, she does, she does say at the end, like, that's, she, I was hoping you, I was hoping to get these. Yeah, like I was hoping, yeah. but I don't want to admit it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like, like, because then it breaks my reputation. Right. And that's what I feel like it was like, like, so, so to me, it was kind of a, a cute little thing that she did have. And I think though, logically in the next couple of weeks, knowing it's his college and if she really cares about him, she's probably going to pawn him. So that's how I left the movie thinking she still got to enjoy him. And, you know, but then she, yeah, but then someday or down the road, she's a, a good enough friend that she's going to do that. Yeah. And I just want to say in all defense of the dad, I mean, if I mean, and obviously I don't have a kid in high school, and I, I don't like to, you know, call out individual, you know, kids and all that. But I mean, if my kid came to me and said, yeah, I just cleaned out the college fund and yeah. I've got to blow it on a date for this girl. Uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's going to be some problems. You know, yeah. And there, there, there might have to be an explanation, you know, I mean, and it's, uh, uh, you know, and that's where I like that. The kid said, well, don't worry, I'm going to pay it back. I know that this is important, but I need, you know, and obviously it's the movie world and everything works out and all that. But I think my reaction, maybe a little bit more realistic would have been like, okay, well, let's brainstorm some ideas that we can have. Like, maybe you don't need to clean out the complete bank account to see if we can somehow, like, what, where are you going with this? What do you think? Now, obviously they had to trim it down and it, it's a movie and all that, but right. You know, I I can I can kind of empathize where the dad's coming from in that when all of a sudden the money disappears and it's kind of like, uh, where, where are you going with it? Right. Well, and and granted, one year of college is now going to be a whole lot more than one year of college was back then. But still, it's you've you've cleaned out right. your college money to to go on this very elaborate date. Right. You went to a fancy I mean, restaurant. You went to a fancy restaurant and got a burger and fries. Right. I mean, I got to be honest with you, I, I had a whole bunch of motorcycles picked out that I was going to blow in. My parents put mm-hmm. the kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't make them bad people, you know, so. Yeah, no, and, no, it's. And I got to be honest with you, I got to be honest with you, uh, getting a motorcycle in high school probably would have equated to uh, going on a date with some, you know, fancy chick. I, I just got to be real honest with you. So, it I mean. It, to it. Yeah, would it, would yeah. It? so, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, um, you know, I, I, you, maybe not when you, if you see this when you're young, you know, so Dennis, you'll have to give voice to that, but you can kind of see where the dad's coming from because as much well, my as dad would have killed me. Yeah. I mean, I would, my dad would have killed me in, um, but if you just would have, I think that's cool that you look like, I don't, I don't necessarily say it's a hundred percent. I mean, I think it was portrayed fairly realistically, yeah. but that's an ideal dad right there. And that's very rare. Just like, I think they even in the lyric and in, in, in the script sort of say like no other dads would do this, but this dad in the story is going to do it. Why? Because yeah. you believe in me, you know? And, and, and I, and I think that's John Hughes's message, maybe to the adults that sometimes trust the kids. They're 18 at this point or whatever, 17, 18 years old. You know, they're going to make their own mistakes and you can't do everything for them. And, and the fact that he had a rational, you know, it, it was irrational to a degree, but it was also he knew he's saying, I know how it looks. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. 
and this is important for me. And the dad was like, good enough to say, I'm going to trust you with this. You work for the movie, you work for the money, sorry. Um, I'll let you, you know, I'll, it, I'm, this stinks. I don't like it. I'm still going to get on you about college later, but I'm going to let this yeah. one slide right now. Because he's not like walking out happy and hugging him. And they didn't make it so sappy. I mean, he's, right. the dad's still upset and disappointed, oh, yeah. but he's trusting his son enough. He's, he's, he's digging deep to, to, to let that go. Yeah. For now. He'll fight this battle later. But tonight's not the night, and he knows he needs what he he knows what he needs to do. And I think the revelation that, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the he was not in with the popular kids at school, or he's not like necessarily the big fit in kid. He's he's kind of a little bit of an outcast and stuff that that hit the dad too, and it makes you in a little bit of a different mood. I think so. I think everything that that Keith did made that conversation possible. So I think it's a great lesson for the kids of how to talk to your parents when there's a situation like that. And at the same time, it's also for the parents to listen to their kids. So I think that's John Hughes saying that right there. Yeah. And you parents know. be, and parents be aware of who your kids are. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you know, this was obviously Hollywood and everything was light and all that. And I don't want to make it super dark and heavy, but I mean, let's be honest. What do you hear about with high schools and in the news and all this yeah. kind of stuff now is, you know, opioid addiction, heroin, heroin overdoses. And so many times it's, it's kids from. Yeah. Like what if you get a bit to get that money to pay for drugs, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, they're from quote unquote good homes. And it's just, the parents are shocked and it's like, yeah, you know, you can't be hanging out in your kid's business, but well, maybe you got to be hanging out in your kid's business. I mean, I don't know. So. Which we'll get in next time when we do the lesson zero movie, because that's all about mm -hmm. drugs. Yeah. Oh, Great. There you go. <laughs> we do we go for something a little more uplifting next time. Yeah. Um, the line, the line with the kiss is uh, where she's they're kissing, and then all of a sudden she pushes him away very quickly, and she's like, "Okay, lesson's over. You're cool." And she's like, obviously upset. He's like, "Wait, you're blushing." And she's like, "Yeah, the day I blush." You know, that's that's the whole part with the kiss scene at the you know the one where they where she's practicing. Yeah. So I said that's like one of the best I think scenes ever because she was she was kind of like you know selfishly sort of getting this kiss in herself by pretending she's practicing and then it got too real for her and then she pushes him away and i, I think that was a interesting and that from that point on if you don't know that she's into him right then i don't know what right. movie anybody's watching then yeah all right well i think that's going to do it for our talk on some kind of wonderful um I think we can all agree that we would recommend people go see this if they haven't seen it yet. Yes. And, and teens out there too. Like I said, uh, you know, my, my, my daughter had seen pretty in pink and, um, and the other ones from John Hughes, the, the teen ones, but um, she actually felt a little bit uncomfortable with some of the other ones. Cause uh, her mother did show it to her a little bit earlier. Um, not like way early. I think she's like, want to say 14, 15. Um, but this one was then shown, like I showed this one intentionally after, cause I'm like, okay, she feels weird about the, cause, cause I, there's a little bit of weird stuff in the, in the other ones, I think mm -hmm. that can make some people a little uncomfortable if they're not, you know, I don't know. But, uh, showing this one was like, a, like totally, totally love this movie. Like hands down. So this is the best John Hughes film, uh, as far as the ones that she's seen that have to do with teens and kids. So any right. teens out there, good one to show. It was a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, next time around, we are going to be doing... Actually, you know what? I'm not entirely sure what we're doing as our next one. I know the next on our list for 80s movies is Less Than Zero. Um, so that one is the... Uh, that one's the one that stars... Uh, let's see. It's the one based off the Brett Easton Ellis uh, novel uh, by the same name. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Andrew McCarthy is in it. 
Um, so that one's the next one on our list in terms of 80s movies. But um, I didn't realize until like a week ago that they had shifted around a whole bunch of the release dates for other movies. And so originally, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was supposed to come out this summer. And Alien Covenant, the new Alien movie, was supposed to come out, I think, in November. And so those are ones I think we may end up doing a show on. I don't know who else is going to get to go see those. Um, I know I'm definitely going to try to go see them within the next couple weeks. But uh, so sometime this month, and we may we may end up cutting one of our other 80, 80s movies this month. Otherwise, it's going to end up being like seven podcasts to eight podcasts in the month of May, uh, mm-hmm. which which is a bit much. So um, so next on our list is less than zero. Um, we are going to be, we'll definitely be doing adventures in babysitting. I, I definitely would still like to do project X. Um, we might cut flowers in the attic. We said that we were going to do that one before, but we might cut that one out. Um, we also talked about because May 25th, uh, is the 40th anniversary of star Wars. So I think we're going to try to do a, uh, uh, one on the original star Wars, the 1977 star Wars. Um, so we may have one with guardians of the galaxy, may have one with the new alien movie, uh, Star Wars will come at the end of the month. So I don't know if next week's will be less than zero or if it'll be Guardians of the Galaxy, but we'll, we'll throw that out there on Twitter and, and all that other stuff uh, coming up. So those are most likely going to be, uh, not necessarily in that order, but those are going to be our next few movies, Less Than Zero, Project X, Adventures in Babysitting, Star Wars 1977, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and Alien Covenant. So those are... Those are going to be out there. Um, also, if you're following us on Twitter, if you're not following us on Twitter, you might want to go ahead and do that because I do have some items that I was able to pick up from C2E2 uh, last weekend that we might be doing some giveaways uh, on Twitter. So if you're not following us on Twitter, then uh, go ahead and get in touch with us there and you can start following us and you can take a look for those. And we'll, We've got a couple things we may be giving away over the course of the next few weeks or so. So in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us or find us all these other ways that, that we've got for you to get in touch with us. Uh, all of these, if I say 30 podcast, it's three zero and the word podcast. So 30 podcast at gmail.com is our email address. 30 podcast.com is our website. We've got a whole bunch of other stuff there at 30 podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're 30 podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We're also, you can listen to us on Stitcher, Satchel, Google play podcasts, iTunes, and on 30 podcast.com. So all those different ways that you can get in touch with us. We also have a voicemail line, is 87235-MOVIE, 872-356-6843. So if you've got any other feedback on any of these movies that we've got coming up in the next month, uh, feel free to get in touch with us. Let us know. Um, Otherwise, that's going to do it for tonight. And uh, so thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. And and I'm going to end the podcast this time around instead of our usual, you know, be excellent to each other and all that other stuff. I'm going to end this podcast by saying... I think it's safe to say that this podcast is about to become a historical fact. All right. Everybody have a good one. We'll see you next time. Yep. See ya. Bye now. Bye-bye.
man. I approve. Well, thanks again, Duncan. No problem, no problem. You guys go along, okay? We're just gonna stick around here, try to crank up this party to a nice, respectable level, okay? Okay. Okay. No, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not gonna mess him up. I'm not even gonna touch him. I'm just gonna make him cry just a little bit by just looking at him. <laughs> Good night. All right, let's cut the bull. We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have some fun. All right, guys, these girls have been looking at you like I don't know what. <laughs> All right, now we're ready to party. Ooh, what a beautiful woman right here. She is dying for you. 